was on the Tuesday night and on the Sunday before, this story comes out in the Sunday Times and it's, um, yeah, quoting me as saying this player um, refuses to be put on the clock and describe him as a slow coach and all this. And it's a story in the Sunday Times. I'm, I remember my dad ringing me going, oh, you're in the Sunday Times? That's good, isn't it? And I, was like, I, was, I read it. I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep for like a week, and I remember sending it to like the the press um, the press secretary and going, um, "This is bad, isn't it?" And he just rang me and went, "Yeah, it's really, really bad." Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high performance sport. This episode of the Pace of Performance podcast is with someone that I've courted for over 10, well, nearly 10 years to come on the podcast. And it's someone that has a CV that is almost unrivaled from Real Madrid to uh, Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, to Celtic, to now Everton. And it's Jack Naylor who comes on the podcast today. So we're talking about his journey and what it's like to deal with players at the top end, at the real top end of the game. So there's many people, many coaches out there who will look at Jack CV and want a bit of that and want to kind of go down that route as well. So we give those coaches that want to do that a bit of an insight into what it's like to deal with the likes of Ronaldo, Modric, Sergio Ramos. Like how are, how are these guys getting better and how are sports scientists like Jack helping these guys move the needle? So a really interesting episode coming up with Jack. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientist to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jack. Jack Naylor, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. My, my pleasure. As we were just discussing, don't know if it was hard for me to share, but it's been a it's been a ten year process of me getting you on the podcast. I know. Maybe, maybe the maybe the maybe the longest courting period that um, I ever had. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. First time we spoke was about ten years ago uh, when I was in Madrid, and uh, yeah. Wasn't um, didn't happen then, but we're here now finally, and yeah, it's great to be. Here. Had some amazing people on over the years, and obviously listened to a lot of them. Um, so it's good to to get on at last. No, thank you very much, and we'll, we'll discuss all the times at Madrid and all them kind of things um, as we go on the next forty five minutes to an hour. But if I don't know who you are, Jack, would you mind just giving us a, a brief bio? And the brief bio will be a. a and I know you don't want me to say this, but we're very impressive one because of where you've been and things like that. And we'll get into that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a brief bio. What are you doing now? Where you've been? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so currently head of uh, first team sports science at Everton. Um, I've been here for about a year now. So uh, it's been the last year. Uh, if I go back to the the start, I um, went to Loughborough University and then there was an opportunity for a a sandwich year between my second and third year of my undergrad placement at Chelsea Football Club um, with the first team there which I went through a selection process for and um, and was lucky enough to get so I spent a year during my undergrad degree working at Chelsea's um, training ground with the first team there for for Nick Broad who was the head of sports science which was um, an unbelievable obviously introduction um, to to life and in, in professional sport and and unbelievable time at the, the club was going through as well with um, a big big team big names big players at that point and uh, I came in just post Jose Mourinho and so there's lo- loads of kind of cool stuff going on at the club loads of really great staff there um, and learnt loads in a year I went back and finished my undergrad and then after I graduated I went back and worked at 
Chelsea again uh, the following season. And then at the end of the season, uh, Carlo Ancelotti was manager at that point. Um, and for that, uh, at the end of that season, he was he was sacked and uh, there was a whole load of staff changes with change in management. And um, that included me. So then I was uh, out of the job again. And then uh, I signed up for a master's at Edith Cowan University, which um, online strength conditioning master's, uh, which was a really, really good course. Um, Greg Half and, and Sophia Nymphius running it, but some really great lectures on it as well. Um, a few, quite a few of them been on the podcast over the years, but uh, likes of David Joyce and Martin Bushai and um, Jeremy Shepherd and loads of really good people to go and learn from, which is what was really sort of attracted me to the course at that point. So I signed up for that. And then six months later, I got a, a call. I, I, did a, I did a personal training course because I thought, well, if I'm going to do strength conditioning, I'll do a personal training course, give me just build up my coaching hours and, and get some experience that way. And then uh, I got a call from Nick, uh, who'd also left Chelsea, and he said, oh, Carlo's going to PSG. Um, I'm going to go uh, with him as head of performance uh, and do you want to come and help me just to get set up for a month? Uh, and it was my master's started the Australian, in Australia starting in February and this was at Christmas so it's sort of the month of January 3 so I was like, yeah, perfect. That was great. I can come over for a month and a bit of an adventure in Paris for a month and have some fun and, and, go, and go experience something else and uh, went over there and I think after maybe 10 days, Nick basically sat me down at dinner one, one night and was like, yeah, you need to stay. <laughs> we need to, you can't, I need, I need the help. We've got too much to do. And can you, can you stay? And, um, so I signed up for a master's, like I said, so I just elected to take that to part time and, uh, and yeah, stayed in Paris. And so we were there uh, until, so this was 2012, uh, so the 2011, 2012 season, uh, halfway through the season joined and then, uh, was there until the end of the following season, 2012-2013. In that time, uh, whilst we were in Paris, um, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Uh, the, the club is six months after the takeover by the Qatari Investment Fund, and they were kind of saying, well, you know, we, we know where the club is. So at that point, up to that point, the club had been a mid-table to top six French league team. And they just said, oh, look, we know we know where the club is, but we think we've got potential to be a Barcelona, Real Madrid level type club. We're going to put the investment in. We've invested in Carlo and Nick and everything else to, to raise the level of the club and tell us where we need to go and what we need to do. Uh, Leonardo was the sporting director and Nick was kind of head of performance. It was amazing for him, for someone so innovative, it was almost a kind of blank slate almost a blank check to go like what do we need to do what what are all the cool things we can do what them what the basics need putting in place and so there's just loads and loads of project work going on and really exciting to be involved with uh, so i was working really closely with nick on all, all those kind of things with different consultants we were getting involved from from around the world and uh, it was it was really interesting and uh yeah we, and we would it was us two plus paul clement was the assistant manager and, and we came over sort of three English guys living in, in Paris, it was, it was good fun. Um, and then, unfortunately or tragically, Nick, in the January 2013, so we'd been there a year, was um, killed in a car accident in Paris. And uh, the whole thing just kind of, a huge change, obviously, overnight, per, huge kind of personal um, upheaval and, and loss and, and tragedy, because, like I said, we'd been living over there as kind of English guys working together all the time and going out dinner and stuff all the time. And so a big loss from that point of view. And but obviously professionally as well, just a, a, a huge loss for me as sort of a, a, a boss and mentor, but also um, for the club and, and all the things that Nick was involved in and entered this kind of mad situation where the, the club were like, well, we really liked all the things that Nick was doing. Um, all the projects we believe they were the right that we were doing some of the right things but you they were sort of talking to me they were saying well, you you're probably the one person in the club who knew most about what was going on 
so can you kind of carry it carry it on and and until the end of the season so I found myself in this kind of mad situation where we're in the we're at a club in the first knockout round of the Champions League and I'm 18 months post my undergraduate degree and they asked me to kind of take over the responsibilities of a head of performance and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing how old were you, Jack, at the time? Uh, so that was in 2013, so I would have been um, 26. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Go on, mate, carry on, carry on. Yeah, so mad mad situation. And sink or swim, I learned loads, learned like, like tons. And um, the club were absolutely amazing. And the way they... Um, looked after staff, um, Nick's family, everything through that period was absolutely unbelievable. And, and yeah, it was just um, a real help. And and we we got through to end of the season. And, and running in parallel, I guess, with that and all the kind of personal stuff that goes on with that is that the, the, the game doesn't stop. I remember, I think, I can't remember exactly what day Nick's accident was, but it was kind of mid midweek, and the club asked to we had an away game. Uh, I think it was against Bordeaux at the, at the weekend. It was a bit of a blur, uh, and the club asked to suspend the game because of the you know the, the players were all everyone was kind of just in such shock and um, and the league wouldn't let us. So so we had to go and play this game, and so so the football doesn't stop it just carries on and so we were, we were going along and actually um, there was probably some tension um, results weren't quite what the ownership were expecting I think um, they were expecting it to be a lot more successful a lot quicker than than it was and um, yeah I think that Carlo was courted for uh, being courted for manager at Real Madrid and the feeling was, and the the way it was going was that he was probably going to be um, sacked at the end of the season anyway from PSG. Uh, so I remember Carlo. So it wasn't that long, probably like a couple months after Nick's accident. Carlo walking out the training ground, and, and Carlo's like, "Oh, well, did you want to come to Real Madrid? Who are going to Real Madrid?" Like, wow, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, no. I'm all right, Carlo. Yeah. I, I, who needs Real Madrid? Maybe head coach Real Madrid. Do you want to come and be part of the stuff? I was like, wow, yeah. I'm, like, I couldn't just couldn't, couldn't believe it. What was happening? And like, yeah, okay, um, great. So um, we won the league, and um, that year, which was amazing in the end, and um, amazing the transformation the club went through in that time, and, and the players that we signed, and the. Um, you know, Thiago Silva arrived, then Zasny Brunovic arrived, and then David Beckham arrived. It was all like um, amazing to kind of. So were you were you there then? Were you yeah. were you there then? Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That is prime prime Real Madrid of kind of our generation, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that, that was PSG. Wow. That was the PSG guys, and so that was PSG. Oh, sorry, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And okay. Then, yeah. then we went to Madrid, and um, that was the summer we signed Gareth Bale. Um, so yeah, I mean the t- I go there. team. The team was. Um, um, I remember we turned up and they just opened the, the the kind of residence hotel at the training ground. It was like walking into like a five star hotel. It was just I couldn't like I think my jaw was on the floor the whole way around, and it was just like we they showed we all had a room there, and like there's my name with the Real Madrid badge next to the door, and like, I walked in there. And I think I just dropped my bag. And I think I've like I'd like kept it pretty cool up until that point. I think I'm, I've got into my room. And I've just started like jumping around the room, like going a bit mad. Like I can't believe what's going on. And I didn't realise that I shared a balcony with Paul Clement, and he stood on the balcony watching me. Like, but yeah. So we joined that. I mean, and the, the team at Real Madrid was just unbelievable, um, and so so fortunate to get to work with and experience working with some of the players and. Um, and the, and the environment, but it, it comes with a lot of pressure as well. Um, of course, you know, to win, to win games and the expectation there is that you win trophies and um, that's what we tried to do. And we were uh, relatively successful in that, and which was good. Um, so we were there for two years and then I left there and... 
we'll come back to that, Jack, and the, yeah. the, the, the kind of pressure side of things. I'm just telling you to remind yeah, myself, really. Fine, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I left Madrid, and, um, yeah, it was then sort of looking for another job, and still really, when when I, when I think about it, I was only five years since I finished my undergrad, I hadn't yet finished my master's, um, still pretty relatively I found myself in this weird space where my career had gone backwards where I'd had all this experience at big clubs and 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 with big players after that but still pretty early in my career and I look look back you know you look back now you think oh I didn't know anything at that point I'm probably look back and know it and you think I don't, didn't know anything now but um so I left there and was looking for another job and I didn't get an, I didn't didn't found it really difficult to get a job um and how was that? How did you how did you deal with that? Yeah. Like you say, the, the the CV, anyone from afar would say, Wow, you're gonna be like was, you're gonna be into the next Champions League club or whatever, but how do you deal with that? I was interviewing for loads of loads of different things, um, or applying for things and not getting anywhere. And um, I didn't actually have that many interviews. I applied for a lot, I didn't actually get a lot of interviews and I was asking for feedback and they were it was either you're not experienced enough or look at the places you've worked, you're never going to, you're too experienced for here. <laughs> and I was like, right, well, I'm, I'm applying for these jobs for a reason. Like, I think they're, I, you know, um, so it was, it was really difficult. It was really difficult. And actually, um, so we left there in the summer. And we, um, so I got, um, I was getting married that summer. So um, I got sacked, got married, moved back with my mum and dad um, with a new wife. And, <laughs> Um, so not an ideal situation and then I just said so like, I had to go to Australia to because my master's had been predominantly online but there was a, a practicum uh, that ran in the January or February and so I just said to my wife look if I haven't got any work by like November my wife was working um, we'll go let's go to Australia, New Zealand. Let's just go. Like, I, I played rugby and I had loads of mates from Australia, New Zealand. We'd moved back there, and their wives and girlfriends were good friends with my wife. And so we we're like, look, we'll just go over to Australia and New Zealand. And we had a wedding that was the weekend after this um, practicum for my masters. Um, so the masters was in Perth, and the wedding was in New Zealand. So we we're like, look, we'll just go for three months. So we did that. It was like amazing, amazing experience. And and came back from that. I was like, right, I'm. And whilst we were there, I did loads of like visits to different clubs. I went to Canterbury Crusaders. I went to visit David Joyce at GWS Giants. Like basically every city I went into, I'd try and email someone or try and go and visit somewhere and try and just do a bit of learning on my way around as well. And then um, came around, I was like, yeah, okay, really ready to work. Really need to work. I was quite actually really need to work, really ready to work and just still really struggle. And I thought coming back March, April time, Clubs will be starting to think about next season. There'll be some staffing changes, things like that. This will be the, this is the period. So um, um, I hope they get a job and then didn't get a job again and got through that kind of few months and then through the summer and it was just getting tougher and tougher. And I remember my, um, a really good friend of ours was, it was his 30th birthday and we arranged to rent a house in Edinburgh for the week and go to the Edinburgh Festival at the end of August. And I just said to my wife, Right, when we get back from this weekend, that's it. I'm going to look at my CV, rip it up, rewrite it, and just go find another career because this is madness. Um, so that was the plan. And then <clears throat> Brendan Rogers had started as manager at Celtic that pre-season. And, um, and Glenn Driscoll was the head of performance, and he was the first-team fitness coach at Chelsea back in the day when I started. I was kept in touch with Glenn, and um, you know, he's been great to me through my career and um, really get on with him and still to this day like a bit of a mentor and things and he um, I said look do you want to go for, I'm going to be in Scotland in Edinburgh I'll jump across to Glasgow and we'll, we'll grab a coffee and um, so we did that and we met and he was like um, actually we need a head of sports science would you be interested and I was like well your timing can be better because literally tomorrow I'm going back and, and start a new career uh, so um yeah, went, then went to Celtic as head of sports science and was there for five years and um, loved it there. Some great staff there, um, really good experience. We were um, 
successful, which helps. Um, we had some really good success, and um, but again, like the, the it's a huge club, and the players up there were fantastic and um, really good pros, and just really enjoyable to work with. And so I had a really good time for for five years, but it it got to the point where I think I, I knew. Um, to progress, I probably needed to to move on, and so started thinking about that. And then uh, I got asked about. Um, I got contacted by um, Red Bull, basically, and 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 they they they'd been through a they were going through a kind of realignment and restructure where um, they realised that from at least from performance side. Their, their clubs and teams were kind of weren't on the same page. They were all kind of doing different things, and they had these athlete performance centres in um, Talgal, just outside Salzburg, and then in uh, LA. And they decided to put a load of investment into those, um, employ a load of experts and, and and people to work there, and then also to use those to then sort of realign the practice in the clubs. And so through that process, they approached me about head of sports science at RB Leipzig. Uh, so decided to make the move um, there, over to Germany, um, and went over there. Um, so that was 2021, and was there for about six months. And then the and the, the Red Bull um, guys and kind of asked me, would you come and work for the global team, uh, working across the clubs, which is... One was one of the appeals in the first place of joining Red Bulls to think, well, perhaps there's like a a, a role there and working across the clubs or, or with the a, the APC, the Athletic Performance Centre. Um, so I did that for about six months, and that was great. I was um, sort of travelling to different clubs in New York and Salzburg and Germany, and sort of trying to help the staff um, or help put in place processes around what we were doing, trying to get alignment, and then. Um, but it was it was just a bit family wise. It was a difficult situation because um, we're talking about relocating, and it just didn't really wasn't really going to work out. Two kids by this point it wasn't really going to work out for the family. So um, left there and had an opportunity to join Everton um, about a year ago. So yeah, there you go. Quite a long winded one. <laughs> Unreal. I, I mean, anyone that has come across your name will know a little bit of the the kind of where you've been. Yeah. But un- unbelievable, like top two, sometimes top club in England at Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, want to be and soon to be at the time when you were there, top club in France. Yeah. Um, obviously, top club in Europe and and Spain in Real Madrid. Yeah. And then Leipzig again, similar similar situation. Yeah. Absolutely incredible! Like it's it's great to listen to that and think this wow! Like what an incredible experience at each of those places. But one thing I've got written down, and and I say that, but with that comes incredible amounts of pressure. Yeah. How have you how have you dealt with that pressure working at these clubs and and it's been so young at these clubs and like you say going to Real Madrid and your name's on the door, which is unbelievable. But obviously with that comes incredible amounts of pressure and and knowing that things can if a few results go badly you're gone like yeah. there's, I remember, uh, there's, uh, I remember in Paris. there's not much of a safety net yeah i remember in paris we had a few sticky results and things weren't looking great and um and we were thinking um, this, the, this might not this might, this might only be going one way at the moment and um i think we if we hadn't won the next game then we were pretty certain that was going to be it and um I remember my girlfriend's time, now wife, had quit a job in London and moved over to Paris to live with me. And about six weeks after she arrived, I came back from where I was like, yeah, so if we don't win on Wednesday night, I think we're getting sacked. And she just sort of looked at me like, right, what have I just quit my job for and why am I here? Um, yeah, so there is, there is a huge amount of pressure. There's a lot riding on the games. Um, and you... I think you have to be kind. You, you almost have to try and remove yourself from it a little bit. I think you have to um, also. It's difficult because it's your your life, but I, I think 
particularly like Paris and, and, and Madrid, I, we were, like you said, we were young and there probably the consequences weren't probably as big as now when we've got kids and in school and stuff like that. So, um, and, and probably think, right, well, we're a bit more flexible, just the two of us, we can move about and things like that. And you just try and try and remove yourself from that pressure. I think you, and you try and find ways to remove yourself from it. I think the, the, one of the biggest challenges I found was in, in Madrid was just the, it would, it's just everywhere. I remember the 20, 2014, summer, summer of 2014, um, I, whilst I was at, at uni in Loughborough, I'd, I'd done a, like a, a, a coaching exchange, charity coaching exchange, and went and lived in Lusaka in Zambia for the summer coaching with a load of students from different universities, which is unbelievable, and made some really good friends there. And um, summer 2014, decided to go back with um, with my wife and, and go and visit. And and I remember we, f- we flew to into Lusaka and it was because it's 2014 World Cup and I remember walking out the airport in Lusaka and the whole of the, which is not a big airport, it's tiny, uh, really, and the car park was wrapped in um, a Pepsi sponsorship and it was Sergio Ramos's face all around it. So I've like walked out like, my summer off, come to like Zambia and there's a guy I work with every day, his face plastered everywhere and and and... And the interest, the level of interest and things like that and with, I remember a PSG and a, a Madrid journalist waiting outside the gate and coming up to you and talking to you as if you know, they know you, they sort of come, oh, Jack, and be like, oh, hi. And you don't, again, probably young and naive at that point, you don't think this is a journalist who's out to try and catch me out here, but... Was there a, I mean, please veto this and we can keep it to our private conversation, but was there a time when you got into a little sticky situation with the press? Did you tell me that? Yeah, yeah. So Can you say that or not? Feel free yeah, to no, no, say no, Jack. Ended up in the Sunday Times, so it's not like it's a secret. <laughs> um, again, just complete naivety. And um, on my part, was I, went, I was asked to be on a panel at a, a conference. And um, so I agreed to do it. And I didn't realise that there were they were pressing the room, um, again, naive. And um, the, the panel was sort of discussing buying from players and GPS and, and we're talking about sort of driving competition through um, some, of the, some of the reporting and the numbers and trying to get players to buy in that way. And, and I just sort of told this cautionary tale where um, one, of, one, of our, one of our players... We, we we were doing some speed work and and the guys were kind of getting quite excited on the on the live data about who was the quickest and they were saying well who's been the quickest this season and can you put up a league table in the dressing room and there was I was, thinking, I was like in, in my head I'm going rubbing my hands going this is brilliant this getting great buy in here that's really buying into this and um, and so I went uh, and did that and um, yeah one one of the, one of the players was wasn't um, wasn't top of the list and then after that it was difficult at times to get him to wear the gps anymore and things like that and so i told this story as a sort of cautionary tale and and then did you mention the player's name on the panel i didn't know um okay but it was probably obvious from the description who it was (laughs) and then it ended up in this and then so that was i think it was international international break maybe and then I think we got through the following week, and then the week after that, we had a, a cup quarterfinal, semi-final in Spain against Atletico Madrid. So obviously, huge rivalry, big game, um, and on, that was on the Tuesday night. And on the Sunday before, this story comes out in the Sunday Times, and it's um, yeah, quoting me as saying this player. Um, refuses to be put on the clock and describe him as a slow coach and all this. And it's a story in the Sunday Times. I'm, I remember my dad ringing me going, oh, you're in the Sunday Times. That's good, isn't it? And I, was, I, was, I, read, I read it. I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster. I'm going to get sacked, Dad. I didn't, sleep, I didn't sleep for like a week. And I remember sending it to like the, the press um, the press secretary and going, um, this is bad, isn't it? And he just rang me and went, yeah, it's really, really bad. And I was like, oh, God. Um, and just feeling sick and just foolish and and yeah and like i said i didn't sleep for a week the pressing 
press interest in Spain for Real Madrid is, is mad. You've got Marca and uh, as as the two AS, the two biggest newspapers in Spain are Madrid-centric sporting newspapers, and the first ten pages each day of their newspaper coverage are about Real Madrid. And so the amount of content they have to fill, they, any little story anywhere, they'll pick it up and they will blow it up and run it because they need to fill the content. And so I'm just going on their websites. I'm like literally not sleeping. So like at 3, 4, 5 a.m. I'm checking their websites, going, right, when's this story dropping? When's it going to break? And I remember um, you know, going to the manager and sort of apologizing. And you know, it's the last thing he probably needed. And, and Carlo, Carlo, I'm, I'm like unbelievable guy I, I, I love him he's great and he's he's, he's so um sort of relaxed about it i can believe it which was i was expecting to get in real trouble but um he was just like oh, just, it's no big deal really is it <laughs> um do you think he's worried about it and uh, and then and we got through and it didn't it didn't come out in the spanish press can believe it and we got through the game and we got through that week and i just thought at the end by the end of that week i was like i'm gonna have to say i don't think it's gonna come out now I think we've got, got away with it, but I'm going to have to say to the player. So I pulled the player and um, told him, and he just laughed it off. I was like, that's nothing. Don't worry about it. And I just lost a week's sleep over it, thinking, oh, God. Um, so, yeah, that that was definitely a, a big kind of learning curve is that kind of interest and, and level of interest in those clubs. And, and you as a person within that, because you don't you don't think you don't think about it. You don't think who's going to be interested in me. Um, so, yeah. So there's... So again, you say that story, so that's kind of one of the realities of working in yeah. them kind of clubs. But there were people looking at you and looking at your CV and you'll be the envy of thousands of SNC coaches and sports scientists across the world who want yeah. to experience working in those kind of clubs with those kind of players. But what, what are some of the realities that you maybe didn't expect or that you came across that may be useful for people as they pursue that the kind of career that you've had in terms of working with these top players? Um, I think the first thing I'll say, like with the, the players that I've been fortunate to work with, the, the, very, the very best and the ones who've had, and they've, they've had long careers, they absolutely get all of the professionalism and... Um, hard work and everything that goes into making a really successful career. Um, so, and, and just the, the relentless drive and motivation that they have to be at the top when you talk about uh, a, a Ronaldo or a Modric or, or a Ramos and just, and, and those guys at Madrid at that time, just, you know, you're playing as a club, you're doing 60 odd games a year they're doing internationals on top of that. So you're playing every three days. And, and to be fair, it was similar at Celtic. We were doing 60, 70 games a year with European qualifiers and things like that. And, and some of the players there, um, I look at, uh, you know, Scott Brown was unbelievable. Callum McGregor's the captain now. Kieran Tierney, these guys. Just the drive and the relentlessness to, in every single game to perform is unbelievable. Like I, I, In Madrid, I was just working the home games and sometimes I'd be like, I, I would be like, okay, Okay, we go another game, um, and I'd and I'd be thinking right. I've got a and my my roles and responsibilities were minor, obviously very minor compared to some other people's. But um, yeah, it was it, it was the it's that kind of relentless nature of the, of the games, and, and just just hugely impressive when you see it up close. And the play and like I said, those players they they absolutely get the the professionalism and the level of. Uh, care that they have to do and look after themselves for to 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 operate at that level, I guess. Um, and so, and they're pushing you all the time. They're challenging you. Um, they're challenging you to be better. Um, they and they they force you to be better because you constant. They're constantly demanding from you um, and from the staff and from everyone. In in what way, Jack? In 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 what way? Um. I think just, just in the. I think it's. I think they're they're, they're not challenging you perhaps overtly. Some of them would, like an Ibrahimovic would. Um, he'd ask from 
the more he'd, he'd tell you to your face he didn't think you were doing the right thing and <laughs> you weren't being good enough. Um, but he always did it in the right way. Like I've, I've got unbelievable amount of time for that man. He's, he was unbelievable with me and, and really helped me to give through that time with, with Nick's accident and stuff like that. It was unbelievable. So, um, but he, but challenging in a really good way and, and, and would overtly say things. But other players, perhaps not um, overtly challenging you, but um, just they wanted to be the best they could be. So you want to provide for them the best you can be, if that makes sense. And you want to you want to deliver for them the best you can be and what, what you think is the best. And and so that just internal drive then to, to be better is a, is a challenge to kind of, yeah, do that. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jack. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat more about the X's and O's, about what Jack does in his day-to-day work and how he's helped players such as Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos, Luka Modric move the needle when it comes to the support he gives from a sports science perspective. So a really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Rock Daisy. Rock Daisy's athlete management system provides a powerful competitive advantage to elite sports leagues around the world. If you're looking for a solution that enables you to centralize, analyze, and visualize your data, check out rockdaisy.com and sign up for a free trial. And now back to the episode with Jack. When we met when you were at Celtic, it was this next topic came up a, a couple of times, and I can I 100% get it. And I almost, when people will talk about your CV or the clubs that you, you've been at, it's almost like a, ooh, like just a, a, a bit of an imposter syndrome. Yeah. Is that something that you had working at those particular clubs and maybe on the back end of Real Madrid and not being able to get a job and thinking about changing careers and all that kind of thing? How much imposter syndrome was there and how, what effect did that have on you? Yeah, I, I um, say at that time, I was... I, Masses of imposter syndrome. I felt like uh, I never, I never experienced this at all. I don't want it to come across, but I, in my head, I was thinking people will be looking at me with, would there be some envy, some, you know, what's he doing there? What's, he, you know, how's that happened? And look, and I knew I was relatively inexperienced. I was working at that level, and 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 through sort of circumstance and serendipity a little bit being being the right place at the right time to end up there um so there was definitely a lot of um imposter syndrome and thinking go right what what am i doing here and um what what um yeah (laughs) what who what are people thinking about me being here and what and and then and then people it was interesting because you you work at something like Real Madrid. Like I said, the level of interest in that club is unbelievable, and and then people come to you for um, all sorts of different things. Um, you know, whether they're there's products they want to sell, or they want you you to sort of get involved in the R and D with something, or um, they want you to to come and. Um, talk at an event or a conference or something like that just because of the, the, the club that you're working at and and it felt like that it was something like, I'll come on a podcast yeah <laughs> yeah but, it, but <laughs> it, it felt it felt like that like, it, it felt like that at times where there was it felt like people were I was thinking no one would know who I was if I wasn't working here and and so why so the fact that I'm working here does that mean I've got anything valid to say I don't know is, it, is what I say of value I don't know and and, and like I said I felt very fortunate to have ended up where I was it wasn't a designed plan it wasn't like I thought well one day I'm gonna um I remember I remember when I was probably about 13 or 14 my mum and dad went to Madrid for a weekend and came back and they bought me a Real Madrid t-shirt and I remember having this t-shirt and then you know like just over 10 years later um I'm working there with, I remember and uh, uh, just uh, like unbelievable so I kind of circumstances that ended up there but yeah there, there was a lot I remember um walking and this was and you know Twitter was kind of a growing thing at that point and it seemed to be quite a good community on there and I was on there and and I remember like walking through the gym in Madrid and um there was a versa pulley I'd never seen one before and so um 
and I put and I and I thought, well, I thought there's this little community on Twitter that could be useful, and I, so I that took a photo of it and put it on Twitter, thinking, oh well, does anyone know what this is? Um, and like I got kind of quite a few replies. People going, that's a vertically. We'd love one of them, or like, yeah, like we use that all the time, and 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 just kind of without anyone, no one ever, ever said it, but in, in my head, my posture was going, duh, it's a versipulli. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and so then I just felt really stupid then and, and just little things like that, I think, when you think, oh, right, okay, put my foot in it a bit there maybe. Um, so yeah, lo- loads of kind of imposter syndrome going on at that point. Um, and, you know, still, it's still, still probably there at a lot of points. I think it's probably something that a lot of people suffer with, but actually... Um, I actually heard it framed a, 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 I've heard it framed in a, in a much better way recently which has kind of helped a lot which is that it, it's imposter syndrome is what kind of fuels your curiosity and what um, you know it's not necessarily it's not just a negative thing because if you don't have any imposter syndrome then you're never going to want to learn to be better you're never going to want to drive yourself to be better and I remember like um, when they say it's like, do, do you think Donald Trump's got imposter syndrome? Do you think he's got any imposter syndrome? No, but he's like, it's, so like when you've got, if you've got a level of it, then it it keeps you humble and curious and learning and, and moving forwards. Which I think when I then kind of frame it in that way, it helps. Um, but I think it's something that probably a lot of people suffer with. Mm-hmm. So. Just, I suppose, an incredible story. Like, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to chat about the story and the kind of experiences and things all day long. But in terms of you as a, would you class yourself as a sports scientist? Is that your? Yeah, you know, yeah, always worked in, in side of things. Science roles, yeah, yeah. Yep. So again, lean on your experiences at big clubs. Two games a week, yeah. 60, 70 games a season. In terms of your expectation of yourself, in terms of the club's expectation of you, and this is this is providing information again, hopefully for for people who want to go on that journey, and yeah. hopefully when they get there, they're not. Yeah. I don't think it would be like this because you're going to tell them what it's like. Yeah. But what? How are you expected? Are you expected to make these guys better? And if so, how? And if it's if it's not, what like what does the role look like? Especially with these players, like you say, I mean, yeah. you, you chuck Modric. Ramos and Ronaldo names out there like it was nothing, but this is it's like yeah, it's amazing. So how are you get how are you getting yeah. <laughs> how are you getting stuff from the from these guys who are the best in the world and you've got so many games coming thick and fast? Yeah, well, I think um, one of the first things which I think a lot of people experience in, in football, probably any sport, is that guys who've got that much experience. I think I was I was quite aware going in somewhere like Madrid where there's been quite a few managerial changes over the preceding years and you've got these players who've you they've played in different systems and different philosophies and different training regimes and things like that they've all um got their own um thoughts on it themselves at that point it was just kind of players were starting to get their own people that they worked with outside of clubs which is obviously a much bigger thing now um and i think we we just really focused on and the, the, the remit in Madrid was simply with win games. And so it wasn't really about player development. There was a, there was an aspect of that, but it wasn't the main thing. The main thing was just about performing. So it was about how do we prepare the team to perform best? Uh, and what do we do with our training loads and things like that to get the team to perform better? Um, so sorry to, ju- sorry to jump in there, Jack. When, you, when that, is the, that is the aim, win games. Yeah. Does that sometimes, as a sports scientist, someone that's obviously gone down the education pathway, is constantly learning, wants to wants to do things that are making people better? Yeah. Does that sometimes feel a little bit stifling? Um, it can. It, pro- it probably can can do, but I think at the end of the day, that's ultimately why you work in performance sport as well, right? But you, you want to win games and you want to win trophies. I've been really fortunate to have been involved with a, a load of different trophy winning sides and, and they're really inspiring to be around and you learn a lot from them. And I think we, we've we also got to win. If we, all we were there to... We want to develop people, absolutely. 
Um, but if all we were there to do was develop people, we and we and it was a really nice environment, and, and but we never won a game, then we also wouldn't be there very long. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it potentially could feel like that. Um, but I think you just you get interested in in different. And perhaps it's just a different challenge to throw yourself into. You get interested in different things and looking at things in different ways. Uh, I, I certainly felt like my role at that point, it's, 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 the landscape probably changed quite a lot. In, from when I, remember when I first started my career, Nick was head of sports science at Chelsea. And he was, uh, we, we were, the sports science department, a sub part of the medical team. And I remember when I first started, every every player wore a heart rate, but we only had five GPS units in the building. And we were making all the majority of our decisions based on heart rate data, we had very little external load data um, on the players as a whole. Um, it was a bit of a fight and an argument getting players to wear them at times. Um, we had five units, we were trying to rotate around the squad. Uh, so that we got a, a, a kind of overview of what everyone was doing. Um, it was very early days of GPS. And um, so from probably those experiences, you, I saw the, much more so now, the sports scientist and fitness coach have sort of merged into one role probably. But at that point at Chelsea and at, at PSG and at, at Madrid in those early days, I was the sports scientist there was a separate group of physical coaches and there was a, um, even, even in, um, that was a, not to the same extent because, but there was that kind of setup in Leipzig, even where there was, you know, the athletic coaches were separate to the sports science department. Um, and so I've, I've always seen my role or the role of a sports scientist for me in that kind of environment is like, you're like a translator. You, for me, you've got to, particularly if we focus on performance, you've got to be able to have conversations. There's, there's three other departments there in coaching, physical and medical, and you've got to almost fit and be able to have conversations with all three of those. And I think with the data and information that we provide, it would hopefully act to create some unified decision-making across those departments. Uh, and and to work between them, and so I think the role of I think it's a really important part of our role is to be able to sit down and be able to have conversations with those three departments on a, on on their level, and 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 communicate with them and help understand what their challenges are, what things they're trying to do, and to try and get some kind of um, joined up thinking through the, the the information that we can provide with them. How have you found that? Has that been easier, more difficult, or just different when you've been you went to these different places that you mentioned early on in your career as as the a manager's appointment? He said, "Like, come with me. We're going to Madrid, or whatever it whatever it has been." But then later, has you've applied for these jobs, or you've been headhunted, and you're part of you know a, a club staff. Yeah. So have you found that more challenging to to sell that message to be the translator across the environments when it, you've been a club guy versus a manager's guy? Um I think when when you're the the manager's guy and you're going in I have been on the other side of it when I've been in the club and there's a new management management team coming in there's always a load of apprehension about what's walking through the door. So I think if you can go in and and go into those environments and and show that you are there to respect what they do as well and learn from them and 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 be open and, and to be like, look, I'm I'm here to help everyone. I'm not here to yes, I come with a manager, but I'm I'm here to, to help everyone be better here and, and if there's and to try and build those some trusting relationships with some of the the staff in the medical team or the or the in-house fitness coaches that are there or whoever it is that you you're there to kind of help get their message across um, and sort of you can say that I can help I can help with the messaging to the manager here I can, this is or you can you can help them with the, with manage 
managing the manager's expectations a bit as well and, and things like that. So I think if you go at it from that point of view and you're you're open and you're also willing to learn, like you you also got to not disrespect. Like you go into Madrid and the physios who were there at that time had been there. Some of them had been there for 20, 30 years and unbelievable experiences and, and you know, had about 10 Champions Leagues under their belts. <laughs> um, and and so you've also got to go in and learn from them. That, that was something else I think I learned pretty quickly when you go abroad. I think we're really fortunate in in the UK that so much so much research and so much knowledge and information comes out in an English speaking format. Uh, so you you go to the you know so much comes out of the states, Australia, New Zealand, plus obviously the UK in terms of research, in terms of conferences, podcasts, uh, information sharing. And that is potentially not accessible to practitioners in France, Spain, anywhere else that doesn't speak English. And so you, you've got to go in with a understanding that they might not know what you know, but then also you don't know what they know. And there's obviously amazing um, research that's been done in, in France and Spain and places like that that's perhaps come out in a French language that you don't that we've missed out on and we don't necessarily understand and so again you've got to go in open and and not just be suspicious of the things you don't understand or dismissive of the things you don't understand uh, and you, you've got to understand that so have that respect I think so if you can go into a club and show that openness and respect for what they do then then that'll help um yeah, definitely. I think coming back to your original question, then there's an in-house member of staff. Um, is it? It's probably just different. I think you've got you've just got more time. Um, like you go, like I said, you go into a PSG or Real Madrid. They want you to win games, so it's kind of like right. There's some things we need to do here, and we've got to build these relationships pretty quickly. And I think when I went into Celtic, there was a load of things that I wanted to do, and I just worked really hard and just did them myself and didn't really probably involve as many other people as I should have done or could have done and, and probably made a bit of a mistake then just trying to take it all on myself and and it still took despite that I, I thought I thought at the time we'll get there quicker if I was quick if I should do this I'll just do this it's fine um, and and it probably still took two years to get to where 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 we ended up after two years was like okay I'm we're at a place that's pretty good now. Just and then, so I, I think I've come into like went into then Leipzig and Everton, a bit more experienced, obviously. Going right, way, okay, got a bit of time. If that doesn't happen straight away, we'll get there. Um, um, we've, we've got a bit more time, and so any kind of things we want to put in place or implement things like that, then yeah, I, I'm probably just a bit bit more relaxed as an in-house member of staff in terms of thinking okay, we've got a bit more time to put some of those. Obviously, there's things that we want to, that are going to have an immediate impact on the team that we're going to try and do pretty quickly, but we there's probably longer-term uh, structural stuff and things like that and, and things that you think, right, well, we can probably tackle that a little bit further down the line, like prioritise what we need to tackle right now, and then there's things that we can worry about later on rather than trying to do everything at once. My last question for you, and we've obviously mentioned a couple of players along the way, but I'm just wondering how much you, based on that, because you've been working with the, be, the you know best in the world at, at times in your career, in your current job, and feel free to reference other, other ones as well. How have you, how have you tried to learn as much as you can from these players who've got so much experience, know their bodies incredibly well, yeah. have you know their own individual needs, all that kind of thing. How have you tried to kind of suck all that knowledge and experience from them to do a better job in your role as a sports scientist? Um, I think, I think you, I think you just learn that one, one of the, one of the, the biggest things that I've probably learned about in the last few years, which has massively influenced my thinking is sort of in, that we operate in, in a pretty complex environment and with individuals who are complex as well. And what I, what I mean by that is that it's 
it's complex is different to complicated. So if something's complicated, there's still some cause and effect. It might be um, there's probably a pretty straight line we can draw through. So like a, a Formula One car is a ridiculously complicated piece of equipment, um, but when it breaks down, you should be able to take it apart, fix it, and put it back together again. When you put that Formula One car into a race, enters into a pretty complex system and the performance of that car isn't necessarily dictated by the mechanics or it's dictated by the other cars on the road, the other drivers, how much sleep the driver had last night, or, or like, low, like anything you want to mention really can have an effect on it. Uh, and so when you're working with some of these, that sort of led me to sort of reading a bit more about complex systems because I think we, we just operate in one all the time. And one of the things about a complex system is that the person closest to the action has the biggest chance to influence it and in in a game in a game of football which is a very complex thing in itself you know that's the man on the ball uh, so that's the that's the player and so i think there's like you say i've, I've worked with players who unbelievable understanding of their own bodies and, and understanding of um, where they're at and work with players who <clears throat> um, would uh, you know in, in training sessions go turn around to <clears throat> me or one of the coaches or whatever and go I think I think it's probably enough for me today and you can go and you can go yeah brilliant fine that's that's fine like you get yourself in and there's no there's no amount of GPS that's going to tell you whether that's the right thing or not but I think you've got to, you get some players who you know who you can trust with that kind of thing uh, so I think there's just learning to kind of identify which players you can do that with a little bit. And and so I think there's conversations and, and things you can say and chat about with the players to go, right, okay, now they understand. But obviously not all players are like that, and particularly less experienced players aren't, aren't going to have that level of knowledge yet. So it's, um, yeah, just, just trying to understand get them to try and understand their bodies a bit, I think. And and so that's one of the things. I think then just when you, you're in and around these guys all the time, you just try and observe and understand. And you just see kind of what makes them tick and the level of drive they have and the level of motivation they have is is, is pretty self-evident. And it's at times, like I said, it's challenging. It can be a bit um, exhausting at times and... <laughs> Like um, Alvaro Arbeloa was at Madrid and didn't didn't generally start that many games for us, um, and, and he was, uh, but probably like just an unbelievable pro. And I think if he was on the bench in a game and we had a day off after the game or whatever, he'd go around the dressing room and get all the other lads who were on the bench. Go, come, on, we're going training tomorrow. And he'd like come to me, Jack, come on, we're going in tomorrow training. And I'd like. Yeah, like, right. I guess we'll have a day off. <laughs> right, we're going in, and but the but just unbelievable drive. And he um, he had an, he had a knee injury, and he bought himself an arm bike, and he used to do laps of the training ground on the arm bike during training, so he could watch training and, and exercise at the same time. And just yeah, that level of and and he had an unbelievable career, um, you know, Champions Leagues. Euro Championships and World Cups with Spain and like just unbelievable and um, and but he sticks out in my mind because he probably got there more than anyone through their drive he probably didn't have the the natural talents of a Modric or, a, or those kind of guys or a Gareth Bale or anything like that but he got there through his drive so I think just being around them and observing that kind of stuff and, and trying to learn from them and, and, and learning and you, and you see things and go, right, well, that's okay. That's work for you. And there's things that you go, that's not textbook or that's, that's, oh, I don't know about that. Is that really doing anything for you? But it works for the player. Uh, and, 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 and it works in the other way as well, where, you know, these guys are in the public spotlight. They're under huge amounts of pressure they earn a lot of money. They have, um, you know, you, you'd think from the outside everything they could want, but they still experience stresses and pressures in their life. And perhaps those, that was one of the things I think, those stresses and pressures 
you you're not gonna you to you and I they might be pretty small like it might be something that's pretty small and you think oh, God, you're overreacting you could go like you're just overreacting but you've also got to understand that their stress reaction is still the same and so they're still regardless of whether you think they think they're getting stressed about or not is right they're still getting stressed and and that's not going to help performance so you you've got to deal with that and I, I think with with those guys you and talk about whether you want to say big egos or things like that um was there big egos yeah there were with, with some players was that a negative thing no it probably got them where they were a lot of the time like like I said, I, I, I love Zlatan. He was unbelievable with me and, and only have positive things to say about him. And so I say this in a positive way, but it takes a big ego to take on like the goal he scored against England. That, that, that takes a big ego to think you can get away with that. And so these guys can produce at that level because they've got them. And so you don't want to go into these environments and you never, ever... Like they, they, they exist in, an, in another level of talent and another level of of life that you and I are never probably going to experience. And so you, you're never, ever going to bring them down to your level and go, what and so kind of the reaction, well, don't be ridiculous or like, come on, that's not normal life. When you, you don't understand you, you've basically got to go in there and you've got to go to them rather than thinking you can drag them down to your level and, and, and operate at your level. You've got to try and go to them and understand what they're going through. Because as I said, we we're after performance. And so if they're getting stressed about something or something's not in their life is, not helping or going wrong or something like that, then you need to try and understand that and try and fix that as opposed to, um, yeah, you know, going the other way on it. Because uh, I think those guys, if you think about football, this is the way I've thought about it as well, I think of it, it's the most popular sport in the world. I don't know how many billions of people play football around the world. And so if you think about it like a pyramid of players, the, the wider the base of the pyramid, the higher the peak. And so these guys are the top player, the handful of the very best I don't know I mean whilst I was there I think each the two seasons I was in Madrid over or at least half of the FIFA Pro World 11 came from our team so like the, they're in the top 10 in the world right top 10 11 in the world outfield players and so they're if you think of how many people they're the very best of out of billions so they're just on a different level in terms of talent and drive and everything else so you, you've got to try and understand that and go to them rather than trying to bring them down to you so good i think I'd, I'd, i could go on all day and i could ask you more questions and dive deeper into your time at various different clubs yeah. so it's like a different podcast to, to normal but I, I we couldn't get you on and then just disregard the the experiences yeah. in these clubs because i think it's so unique i don't think i've had anyone on the podcast that can give these kind of I, I can see your imposter syndrome kind of bell ringing at the minute, but it's, it's true. Like it's definitely true. No one's been on the podcast who's got the experience of working in these incredible clubs. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a pleasure to get you on and, and listen to what it, it's like, because there'll be thousands and hundreds of thousands of people out there who want a CV and want to experience the things that you have. So I appreciate the been... open and honest openness and honesty of, you know, what you've, what you've delivered. So thank you. No, no I've been really lucky. I know that. And, so, I don't know if like I said, there's a lot of I know there's a lot of interest around around it at times, and people want to know what goes on and, and what it's like. So, yeah, it, um, I've been lucky to experience it. So, if there's things I've learned along the way that I can share, then I'm happy to do that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you one more thing. Yeah. Where can people get in touch? Social media. Uh, Is the best place, easiest place for you. Yeah, I don't. Um, so. During lockdown, I decided I decided to come off Twitter for uh, basically for men, not uh, bad mental health, but just from because otherwise I'd just sit at home scrolling through Twitter and stuff like that. So I decided to come off it, and and also I think I don't know why everyone else helped through lockdown. There was so much CP. Everyone was doing a webinar, and a, there was so much CP. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I think you were exposed to it, and you felt guilty for not doing it a lot of the time. And I think, oh, I missed that. Or I wanted to do that. Or, and so after like a week of lockdown or two weeks, I was like, you know, I'm just going to read Twitter for a bit. And I've never been back on it. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, best place, uh, probably LinkedIn. You can find me there. 
um, yeah, probably the best place. If you add me, like, again, like I get about wanting to sound like arrogant or big time, but I, because of like ICV and, and things like that, I have a, I get added by loads of people all the time. A lot of them try and sell stuff. A lot of them try to, and I think I've probably got. 275 odd people waiting for a reply on an application for that so um yeah if you want you can you can try i do like scroll through them and if there's anyone uh i i think what because i get added legitimate like, yeah then i'll then definitely I'll, I'll accept it. yeah it's um or if i've missed someone now someone's probably sitting there going i'm legitimate why me uh, yeah <laughs> probably just missed it but yeah linkedin's probably the place on social media Perfect. Well, thank you, Jack. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day off. Thanks. Um, appreciate you jumping on when you've got a rare, a rare one. So I uh, appreciate it and um, look forward to chatting to you soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in to episode 465 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Jack for giving up his time on a rare day off in the Premier League. Also, big thanks to Team Builder and our newest partner, Rock Daisy, for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Thanks for tuning in, and look forward to chatting to you next time.